Hello, I'm Pastor Suzette Caldwell. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast powered by the Prayer Institute. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. Enjoy today's lesson. here, but for recording's sake, let me turn this around. Um, we're going to be in, continue in Matthew 7 today. So before we dive in, is there anything from what you uh, heard last week or the week before that maybe the Holy Spirit's been ruminating in your life or in your spirit that you would uh, want to share? Or how the Lord's worked through those scriptures? In chapter 6. I did look up the Sermon on the Mounds from John Wesley. Oh, good. The 1311 Sermon. Yeah, 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 yeah. I started reading them and listening to them. A little bit difficult, right? The ones that I got were like the old English. Right. (laughs) Yeah, there's a new edition coming. That's what I was going to ask. There's a new edition coming. I was like, this is really difficult to follow. Yeah, so, so Dr. Billy Abraham at SMU is working on a contemporary English edition. There are already two available. Uh, Dr. Ken Collins has his online, as well as Dr. Do- Ken, Collins. Ken Collins, and Dr. Kinghorn. Kinghorn, exactly what it sounds like. Um, he, they, he has an edition that's in print. So if you're interested in reading John Wesley's sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, I would recommend one of those two editions. Yeah, because because otherwise, yeah, it's old English. Well, it's 18th century English. Yeah. Didn't get too Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, someone else. What well, something maybe from the last couple of weeks um, from Matthew six that the Holy Spirit may be working on you with? Yes. I share. It's about fasting. Okay. Um, and I think it was a reminder of how important it needs to be um, in our life. And I find myself and my husband going on, you know, peaks and valleys in terms of the consistency. There was a time we would fast every Thursday together, mm-hmm. but then we just stopped. We fast, we fast during the two times at church. Right. But outside of that, right now, we're not doing either together or individually mm-hmm. any specific fasting. And so I was convicted last Friday in, you know, hearing. Matthew and our teaching because I do remember how intimate those times were with God mm-hmm. when we were doing it and with each other. Mm-hmm. So it just reminded me of its importance and how we, I, need to prioritize that into my spiritual life again outside of the times that we do with the church. Right, yeah, because so. absolutely, you know, you can, you can fast together or separately mm-hmm. um, for specific things, yeah. you know, to just... That intensity of focus in prayer and in time with the Lord, absolutely. There, there are some special, special times and things that God can do when we get out of the way, when our flesh gets out of the way, that he can't do in, quote-unquote, ordinary times. Yeah. Do you have anything you know, to say about fasting that you want to add? Because I know, no, not particularly. I don't like to do it. <laughs> well, I don't know anybody who loves to do it. But it's good for you. Yeah, it's good for you. Yeah, it's good for you. Yeah, we talked about last week, though, that in, in Judaism, the prohibition is you can't fast to the point of damaging yourself. Oh, yeah. And that's a huge prohibition because people are made in the image of God. And the flesh is not, the flesh is to be pushed back, but not to the point of breaking like that. Because... Um, God honors our bodies, you know, when we keep it in when we keep it in the in the right perspective. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Okay. Well, let's jump in on uh, Matthew seven. And for many people, this is probably the most difficult part of the Sermon on the Mount, right here, <laughs> because we hear it in English rather than in Greek. So we are going to deal with the Greek. I'm going to walk you through it on the visual. I've got that worked out this week. Um, and I've given you all the links you need. You can either work with your phone or just wait until later uh, when you're home and work with your laptop. Um, but unfortunately, we really do have to deal with the language. Um, if you want to go that next step deeper with the Word of God, um, that is, it's just a reality. But, blessedly, we live in the age of Internet, where you don't have to have ten books open, Dr. Allen, um, on your desk. Uh, you can really get all you need from certain resources on the internet. And I'm, I'm giving you two, and we're going to walk through those. 
But um, first of all, let's read. And we're just going to really work up through um, verse 11 today. Um, and so let, let's, let's just read this passage. Um, how many of you have a Bible on you, with you? Okay. I'll start, and then we'll just go through the room and read a couple of verses, and then just let, let's just read through up through verse 11. Okay? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For what man is there among you who... If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Go ahead and finish it. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to you who ask him? Amen. So, uh, there's some things we need to drill down into in here, obviously. But the two most important things I want to emphasize today on how we study scripture is historical context is very important, and ling language, okay? So I'm going to let Dr. Craig Keener give his about four-minute lecture on this little section, and he's going to give you the historical background, and I've given you the link to this video in your uh, notes. So let's, let's watch Dr. Keener. I hope the volume, we can get the volume going here. Let's see. Like having a blind eye surgeon operating. See, I'm going to go all the way back. Here we go. Judging assumes a divine prerogative. And there were others, other Jewish sages, who held the same beliefs about judging. Sirach, um, Hillel, and so on, who all said, don't, don't judge others. There's even a Jewish maxim, just like the one Jesus uses here. As you measure, it will be measured back to you. Jesus says that one blinds oneself by rationalizing away guilt. This is a grotesque image. It's like having a blind eye surgeon operating on your eyes. <laughs> the Talmud uses a, a, a body of Jewish uh, rabbinic traditions. The Talmud has a similar statement. It complains of those who resent the mildest criticism. If somebody is told, take the chip out of your eye, he retorts, well, take the beam out of yours. So Jesus may be applying a familiar expression here. But it's, uh, it's, it's really a grotesque image. When uh, you read about in some ancient texts about eye surgeons, if, if, they, uh, if they damage your eye while trying to operate on it, then their eye gets damaged, you know, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I don't think I would have wanted to be an eye surgeon back then. But, um, but the image here is even more grotesque. You know, you've got this tree sticking out of your eye. Verse 6 is one that's a bit more difficult, that commentators struggle with. It's one thing what it might mean as an isolated saying, but how does it function in this context? Well, I'll give you my best guess at this. This isn't necessarily correct, but it's the best I can figure out. I think it's a, pro it's a, it's a maxim like what you have in Proverbs 23.8, where in Matthew 7.6 he says, don't cast your pearls before swine, don't, um, or they'll return around you. Proverbs 23.9, don't speak in the hearing of a fool, we'll only despise the wisdom of your words. In context, it probably refers to correcting those who will not receive correction. 
therefore it's futile uh, to try to correct them. And you have that in Proverbs um, 9, 8 as well, the idea of giving correction to somebody who won't receive it. One should discerningly continue to offer wisdom or the gift of the kingdom, like in, in Matthew 13, only to those willing to receive what one offers, just as God does. That's why you have them shaking the dust off their feet in Matthew chapter 10. Don't force truth in others against their will. If they're not willing to listen, go on to somebody else. Maybe they'll listen later, you can come back. But if they're not listening, you can't force them to accept it. More clear, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, good gifts guaranteed. God can supply anything to the righteous, 7, 7 through 10. Now this is, this is an extraordinary promise for prayer. It's like Elijah, who prayed for things and they happened. Um, but, but here it's applied to all believers. In ancient Judaism, normally when they, when they talked about anything like this, it was attributed only to very special holy people. Jesus wants all of us as disciples to recognize that God is our Father. All of us can pray to the Father and, and trust Him. Well, the kinds of examples He gives for prayers here, you know, if you ask for, for bread, uh, in Luke also if you ask for an egg, these are basic staples. Bread and fish He mentions here. Most fathers couldn't provide more than this regularly, just, just the basics. God's fatherly care however, is the assurance that he will answer. Chapter 7, verse 11. Jesus uses here what's called a, what, what, what rabbis call a call to Omer. A how much more argument. Jesus says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, who's obviously not evil, give good gifts to those who ask him? And Luke zeroes in a particular good gift, the Holy Spirit. Matthew is, is speaking more generally. So that's, that's just that little section. So what'd you hear? What'd you hear that was new or enlightening to you? Okay, so y'all are way down the road. <laughs> I love this information where he says, you know, if he knows somebody isn't ready to hear something, mm -hmm. then don't. Don't force it and don't waste it. Like move to somebody who has an open heart. Mm -hmm. And I agree with his interpretation only because of chapter 10. Because we get this idea, Jesus says, if, if, if a house welcomes you, yeah. give them peace. Yeah. You know, shalom aleikum. But if they don't, just shake the dust off and move on. <laughs> or if a town does the same thing, if they don't receive your word, then move on. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and two, in this context, what we see here, um, remember there are two audiences working here simultaneously. The first audience is to the disciples immediately. And then by extension, um, the church that came around and built up around the person of Matthew, the apostle Matthew. Those are those first hearers. And that earliest church had both Jews and Gentiles in it. And um, it was also an encouragement for them on how to spread the good news of Jesus in their culture, which frankly is not vastly different than our own today. Um, you know, uh, Rome was, not, was very religious, but not Jewish or Christian. Romans were very religious. Everybody had idols in their house. And I would say America is very religious but not particularly Christian. Yeah. And that's the issue that we have now. I mean, that, that's what we're doing. Um, you know, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. If they're not ready to hear or they can't hear for whatever reason, move on, keep praying for them, 
And when you come back, see if they're ready again. Some plant, some water. The Lord brings the increase, right? So if you're just planting, don't try to harvest something that's just been planted, essentially. Um, because the Lord's grace is at work in everybody's lives, yes. even when we're not around. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that, that's, that's a humbling. So let's go back to the judge not thing. Um, this is really important. We're going to look at the words here. The judge not thing here really has to do with not stepping on God's prerogative. Not stepping, staying in our lane and let God be in his lane. Right? So, <laughs> it's okay. <coughs> there is no way we can know everyone's life circumstances. Only God knows that. Right? So while we may see the presenting issues on the surface, we may not know all the stuff underneath. And we certainly don't know what's going on in their head. So when we do see a thing, if they're a brother or sister in Christ, Christ gives us a little later in Matthew the procedure on how to interact with a brother or sister that's in sin. And there's a, there's a, a correct procedure, right? <clears throat> you, you, you go to them, and if they turn you away, then you go grab somebody else, you bring them, <laughs> uh, and so forth. And then if they just completely refuse to be repentant, then you find them, find them the, the side door to the church, right? Um, and still working redemptively to hope to bring them back. But there is a procedure in Matthew. This is about spreading the gospel. Mm -hmm. this, this particular passage is about how do I talk to people about who is Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And that can include a first-time evangelistic experience, but it can also just include how I live my life and in my daily conversation, how I interact with people. If people, like you say, you know, if they view you as a coarse, rough person and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to, you know, evaluate, reevaluate your delivery. Um, <laughs> You know, well, why would I want to have Jesus? Sure, I see how well that works for him, you know, uh, or her. Uh, that, that, that issue, you know, they do, people from outside the faith do judge us, whether we like it or not, by how we act. The perception, you know, and I always tell people, um, even my atheist friends, I say, look, you cannot judge God by the people. <laughs> I said, the people are going are gonna, to are gonna mess up every now and again. But God is not that. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very important. As I spoke about Wednesday night at Bible study at church, I said one of the major things that the Church of Jesus Christ must be in, involved in nowadays, like it hasn't already been, but particularly today, is the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of the church itself learning to forgive itself, each other, and to rebuild trust within the Christian community. We are a fractured people. We are. And from the outside, why would I want that? Seriously. We have to really think about how we come across in the world and work to come back together in reconciliation and love. We can't judge each other in the church either in this way. We have to be very careful that um, coming to someone in love is different than judging. Okay, judging, and so let's look at the word itself. It enlighten a little bit. So I want you either on your phone, or again, you can do this later. Um, if you, I'm going to start us out in BillMounts.com. And either on your phone or on your tablet or whatever or uh, on the desktop, if you go to BillMounts.com, then you can scroll down in the menu section. There'll, there'll be a button for menu. You can click on menu. And under that, uh, Greek resources. Are you finding it, Regina? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's still out, actually. Oh, okay. You still had it from last time. Tell me how you're doing when you get there. Hit menu, you said. Uh huh, hit menu, billmails.com, hit menu. And then scroll down. So scroll down on that, and you'll see Greek, I think Greek resources or Greek dictionary? Greek dictionary. 
So scroll down once you hit menu to Greek dictionary and you click that and you'll see a search, a blank here for searching. Okay, and you're just simply going to type in the English word judge, J-U-D-G-E, and hit enter or search. <clears throat> and you're going to have to scroll down a little bit on your phone till you get to the word. Okay, but there's going to be a Greek word that comes up in blue. Okay, click on that. And that's going to give you the base definition of the root word, crino, crino, crino. Now just to reiterate, does, does anyone know what a Strong's number is? What, what's a Strong's number? Well, it's the, 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 uh, it's that number for the Greek word. Uh -huh that you find in the, um, I forgot what it's called. Concordance. Concordance. Mm -hmm. So way back in the 19th century, a fellow by the name of Dr. Strong put a number with every word in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that old reference system, because it's been around so long, is still used mm -hmm. as a shorthand for, so you'll often see something connected to the Strong's number um, that's what they're talking about. Dr. James Strong, in about 1880, did this. Um, and so um, this is the number right here. In case you ever see that in another reference, which you probably will. But here's the word, the, the, again, the transliteration, which means the Greek in English letters, or Roman letters, krino. Say that, krino? Krino. All right, and then you're going to get, um, in Dr. Mounts, what I love is that um, if you scroll even further down your screen, you're going to see where it shows up in the New Testament. You see that? Every reference with the grammar, which we'll get to in a second. <laughs> but if you're looking at 7-1, krinete, and we'll talk about that in a second, but it's, it is... The definition, the basic definition, if you go back up a little bit to the gloss and definition, is to decide, consider, as preferring one thing over another, or discerning the correctness of a matter, uh, by extension to judge, pass judgment, and so forth. It actually has its root um, linguistically uh, back to Homer, um, a, a Greek philosopher. Um, it really, its root is about dividing like two herds, sheep and goats. This is the concept of judging, where I am dividing what is helpful or proper from that which is not. And at the end of the day, um, in this context, Jesus is emphasizing that that's God's prerogative primarily. Only he can know the full story. Um, so therefore, what becomes the arbiter for us, instead of judging, is to the good news. The good news of Jesus sets straight. Sets straight. Um, so it, it, just, just by telling and living the good news of Jesus, that will convict some people. Because we have to believe that the Holy Spirit and the grace of God is at work in everybody's life. And so if there's something amiss and they're willing to listen then the Holy Spirit can do his job. Yeah. Just, just say what Jesus said and do what Jesus did and then let the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. deal with their stuff. Because yes. he will. He dealt with your stuff and my stuff, right? <laughs> so uh, instead of uh, pointing out everything that went wrong immediately as you're telling people about Jesus, then let, let the Holy Spirit work on them a little bit. It's sort of like um, last night, my, my son is a musician, and he's, his bent in composition is he's very symphonic in his composition. So a song that he writes is usually eight to nine minutes and 12 minutes long. And he's, you know does all this stuff, and, and, and I'm sitting here as a trained musician listening to this, and he wants my critical opinion. 
But if I come at him, now this was not good, and this was not good, and this was not good, if I start judging, he's not going to hear me. But if I say, Josiah, this was awesome. This section right here was so wonderful, and this is why, and this was beautiful. But let's think about how this, might, this way of doing things might have improved it. He's ready to hear me then. Same thing when it comes to our spreading the good news of Jesus. Right? If I come to a person and I realize that God is already active in their life and I see the beauty of God in them because they are made in His image first, then, then, maybe later they'll be willing to hear a corrective. But a corrective, because we're going to get to that later in the chapter, is different than judgment. Fruit inspecting is very different than judging. Okay, so we're going to get there a little bit um, in a couple weeks. Actually. Let, me, let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, is this direct, is this, is this directive more towards a believer or a non-believer? And the reason why I ask is if we have, we have a lot of people, especially non-believers, mm-hmm. who say, don't judge me. But they're living lives that don't line up with mm-hmm. Scripture. All right? So to me, you're not judging. Mm-hmm. It's just this is, you, this is what the Lord said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, how do you apply this to ungodliness, I guess? Okay, so the way that Jesus did it, because he's walking into villages, um, in this case, that, that are not always pure, right? So, um, his, this is to believers on how to deal with the world you're walking into. This is, this is the directive. I don't know how to, they can't walk around that. And so the reality is, um, again, judging is to decide that person is either A, not worthy, <laughs> or um, I need to correct this right now. Um, and that in context would not be in keeping with what we have. Because again, the not casting pearls before swine has to do with, because again of the context in chapter 10, you present the good news of Jesus. If they're willing to hear and they're ready to hear, amen. If they're not, move on. So you don't get in a protracted argument about their behavior or their life or their family or their situation because that is defeating to, they can't hear then um, what you might have to say later. Jesus said with the woman at the well, Correct. he shared the good news with her first and then said, now go exactly. more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So the same thing with the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. He helped her first, he helped her first yeah. then she was ready to hear because she knew his heart. Yeah. But he told her, mm-hmm. the person you're living with, I mean, you had five. Right. Yes, exactly. So he identified the problem, and I guess mm-hmm. that's... Later. Know. Okay. Sequential. I'm just, it, it, it seems okay. to me that's the sequence. The yeah. sequence here is good news first. Yes. If they're willing to hear, yeah. then you move on. But if a person's not willing or ready to hear, you move on. And hopefully you can come back to them, maybe. Yes. But yeah, it seems to be that's the sequence. At least give them the good news. Because the church tends to just turn a blind eye. Right. Or not want to deal with sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then things are normalized. Sure. Behavior is normalized. So that's what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Where behaviors are normalized because the church won't address some things. Mm-hmm. They won't even give the gospel to right. folks so that they can. Is that because they're scared they will turn away and they will lose people? Like people don't want to return if they're being called out. Yeah. They're having to look in the mirror. Yeah, it could be. I mean, certainly to me, there is a fear of of either people losing members or Mm -hmm. people being rejected, Mm -hmm. people being ostracized, made fun of. So I guess my my uh, concern with the judge 
judging is that that we do that that this isn't a statement to do nothing. No, it's not a statement to do nothing. It's a statement to share the gospel. Good news first. But you're correct in that many churches don't do that because it seems to be from what Jesus is saying and what he then the instructions he gives in chapter ten on top of this is that if you're giving the good news of Jesus, it will do its work. The Holy Spirit will do its work in the people's lives. So they are convicted of their sin. But to do the judging before there's the good news is the problem. And the church often gets that out of order as well. So, or people get that out of order too. You know. I think also it could be the perception too. You may be sharing the good news, but mm-hmm. because you're convicted, because your life doesn't line sure. up with that good news, yeah. you think you're being judged, and then you, you know, lash out at the person sure. simply sharing. I didn't say that. That's what the Bible yeah. said. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but because they, you know, we need the blindness mm-hmm. from their eyes to be removed, and that's where the prayer can, you know, on top right. of the good news. And the good news of Jesus has already been defined right. in chapters five and six. That's already been defined. Um, so the good news is that you can have this freedom, that you can walk in joy, that you can be set free to live an humble, joyous, simple, beautiful life as you were intended to live as a virtue of your creation. And this is what God meant for you. Not complicated, chaotic, dramatic, messed up, dust up life. That's not what God intended for us. Um, And that you can have shalom, wholeness, Mm -hmm. in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jesus came to restore that. Because the kingdom, as we've talked about before, um, in Matthew specifically, is about restoring creation. About where the immediate presence of God is in heaven, which is not up here, but concurrent with the earth. Same sphere that the immediate reign of God is activated through the follower of Jesus and demonstrated. And wherever we walk, we should be making kingdom. We should be pushing back chaos, pushing back disorder, um, and establishing peace, joy, humility, all of the fruit of the Spirit Mm -hmm. that are in essence a reflection of chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. Their reflection of the Beatitudes. So um, that good news has been defined. It's not the four spiritual laws. Okay? It is the good news that Jesus came to restore you back to how you were originally created. Ain't that great news? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't have to live like this. Um, Lost and wandering in the dark, which is, again, I believe why you have this illustration Jesus brings in about the blind. Um, If you read John 9, the whole issue about blindness there, um, there were a lot of eye diseases in the ancient world. I mean, we're very blessed to have modern ophthalmology. (laughs) But eye diseases are really common in the developing world. And they're debilitating. Right? And so you have people who would be running around <laughs> saying, oh, I can take that, that little speck out of your eye, and they're half blind. Um, it's, it's meant to be, as Dr. Keener said, grotesque and even humorous at some level. It's like, you know, this is really, before you start pointing out something in somebody else's life, you better really be clear on where you are. Yes. Um, because the measure that you measure this other person by, that's how God's going to judge you. That's very clear. And in Luke, chapter 6, it's even more exaggerated. Um, we often, unfortunately, um, the, the, the verse pressed down, shaken together, running over, over is often applied to money. But in context, in Luke, 7, um, Luke 6, it is about judgment. The measure that you judge... That's what's going to be poured out into your lap as judgment. So be careful how we engage in decision-making about what a person is or is not. 
Um, and first, so, the yeah. first step to do that is to look at your heart. Yes, right? absolutely. Say, where is my heart? And mm-hmm. Where am I? Mm-hmm. Right. Again, it goes back to that humility from chapter five. Mm-hmm. The humility and purity of heart gives us the ground to speak truth into someone's life. But you have to look at that first. And we'll get, again, later in chapter 7, we'll get into fruit inspecting, which is a different deal. So you can have compassionate interaction with someone that's non-judgmental in the sense of this. Not non-judgmental in the English sense, but deciding between and trying to take over some prerogative that God has in these first few verses. Because you have to remember, the disciples are walking into situations um, that would not necessarily be, uh, all of them would not necessarily be open to Jesus as the Messiah. There were plenty of other people running around claiming to be the Messiah in this time. Jesus was not the only one. The difference with Jesus is that his stuff actually, actually impacted people and made differences in their lives. And the resurrection really sealed the deal. Only Jesus was able to recreate and knock chaos back Mm -hmm. through his ministry. He was essentially reaching all the way back to the Garden of Eden and saying what it was intended to be, I'm bringing here because heaven and earth should be together like this, not like this. And I've come to bring them back. The kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it is right here in your face. Yes. Right. Exactly. He was holding those two together. Right there. He is the second Adam, the final Adam. And he's the example of what it means to be human. That's why he came in flesh. That's the reason you shouldn't say, God, why did you give me this body? (laughs) Because if Jesus came, second person of the Trinity came in flesh, and he's not just some disembodied spirit then that means that part of our salvation is also worked out through the redemption of our bodies as well as our souls. So, yeah, there's a lot going on kind of down under here from the First Testament, for sure. We don't have really time to get off into all of that. But I do want to look at the grammar in the next section because we're running out of time. So the next section has to do with prayer. This is prayer part two. We got prayer part one in uh, chapter six, right? With the with the model prayer, and with this, now we're getting a, a laser focus on what God desires for His people. So, as Dr. Keener um, talked and just suggested in his lecture, it used to be seen, and it still is by many Jewish scholars today. That really an immediate or full answer to prayer is really reserved for the tzaddik, the really righteous folk, the real holy folk. <laughs> and that the common ordinary person really can't get that kind of answer from God. Really can't get that kind of provision from God. Um, and so the language helps us here. So if you look on page two, I've done it for you so you don't have time to really look it up. But asking, seeking, and knocking, those three things... Um, if you go to Bible Hub, which I'll just show you, Bible Hub is another uh, resource online here. Um, and if you were to use the interlinear function, um, and I'll just put in Matthew 7 7, <laughs> you see these three verbs. Aitite which, if you remember from your English grammar, it's a verb. It's imperative. Does anybody remember what imperative means in, in the English language grammar? What's it have to do with? It's a command. It's a command. Right? And it is in present active tense. Second person to you. You personally, in this case. Or to the others, in, in this case, as well. Let me open this up just a little bit more. Yeah. And then the second verb is in the same tense. Zetetite. And it is 
the same, and then create. So these three verbs are very important. It's like, so what? So Matthew here employs what is called the iterative present, which often describes an event that repeatedly happens. So that implies the following. There is an immediacy in how you pray, an urgency. There is a persistence in how you pray. <laughs> and there is a sequence in how you pray. So ask has this idea of requesting, requesting something from an authority figure, in this case, God. <laughs> and then seeking has to do with diligently looking, diligently pursuing and looking. And then knocking has to do with entering into the house, if you will, of the authority figure. So I can ask from far off, right? <laughs> hey, do you mind doing so-and-so? And then I can seek, I can look for the answer. Many times we get an answer and we don't see it. Because we're looking for a specific answer, and God's answered it this way. You know, don't narrow your band too far. When you ask God for something, look and see where he might have done that, where he's doing that. Um, and so there's, there's the asking, there's the seeking, there's the looking for God's action. And then there's the knocking at the door. That's pretty presumptive. You can ask on the porch. Right? I can look for something somebody may have thrown out of the window onto the porch, but if I knock, that means I want in. And so there's that sequence of asking, looking, and knocking. And all three of those are in the persistent tense, is what I like to call it. Where it's going to happen over and over. You don't pray just once and then done. Persistent, patient, consistent. Asking, seeking, and knocking. And that prayer should be not, again, just kind of once and done. I hit a miss. Mm -hmm. But is a part of the fabric, becomes a part of the fabric of your life. Yeah. Because he's really prepping the people who are going to go out in chapter 10 at this point. And so they need to be walking and praying every step. <laughs> they need to be praying everywhere they're going. As they go... They are also praying. They are asking, seeking, and knocking. And they are asking, seeking, and knocking so that the living bread, Jesus Christ, can be spread abroad in these towns. That's the immediate context. And I've given you the resource here on how to find out. Once you find out what part of speech this thing is, there is a resource I've given you here that will help define what each of those definitions of the parts of speech mean and like what, what does it matter? Okay, so you've seen that because underneath the hood there is this iterative present, okay, this repetitive present tense understanding, that totally redefines how you see this verse. Because if you just hear it in English, ask, seek, knock, it sounds like it's once and done. Right? Yes. But in the Greek, it is consistent and persistent. Mm -hmm. Repetitive action. And as a Greek speaker would hear that because of the tense choice. Because they could have chosen, Matthew could have chosen to put it some other way, but that's not how he put it. It's not how the Holy Spirit gave it to him. So that's really important. All right? Like I said, I wish that it was kind of all just out there, but um, it seems to me that God is in the business of desiring that we struggle to learn because it purifies us. It strengthens our muscles. It strengthens our spiritual muscles. 
If everything's too easy, how well do you learn it? You don't, right? We'll we'll close with this. So I've been teaching um, on Sunday afternoons um, a group of young adults how to do this method of, of Bible study. And they're eating it up. Because finally, as one young lady said, somebody's teaching us how to, how to eat for ourselves. Yes. As opposed to just trying to get an immediate answer like a McDonald's Bible study. You know, the uh, chicken nuggets Bible study. <laughs> but if you really want good, home-cooked, slow-cooked, clean food, you've got to learn to use the tools. And so I don't apologize for the difficulty. Um, it, it, it is, it, we have for too long in the church, generally speaking, um, felt that the congregation wasn't capable. But the reality is I think if you, if you spoon feed people to the point where they become codependent, they become malnourished because they don't know how to feed themselves. If you're not standing there, they don't know how to feed themselves. So. These things used to be taught more regularly than they are. And so thank you for your persistence and consistency um, with learning to use these. So um, we need to move on to our hot topic, but is there any a question or a comment? Yes. Yeah, could you show us how to use the, that last... Um, oh, sure. I can do that. The last link there. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Okay, so when you get to the link, you're going to see this little interface here. Let me see if I can make it bigger. This little interface, okay? And basically all it is is it gives you um, all of the tenses and so forth for verbs. So if you look back on page one, in your bill mounts and also in your Bible hub, it's easier to find in bill mounts. If we were looking at uh, Matthew 7, 1, you see the... Under uh, number 2B, you see this is the part of speech. It gives you the part of speech there. Mm-hmm. And so that's present, active, imperative, second, plural, second person, plural. All right? So I want to look at, I can look up, I can look up what does present, see that I can look up what does present tense mean in Greek, and there's going to be a little writing here. Okay? It'll tell you what that means. What does it mean to be in present tense? I can then look up active, which is the voice. What does that mean? Okay? And then I can look up imperative. See that? And it will tell me what that means. I combine all that together to get a fuller picture of what was intended when that word was written down. The, thing I, the stuff I just told you about repetitive, consistent action, that's implied by the choice of word. Because they could have put it in aorist tense, which would have made it in past tense. But it's not. Sure. This is a lot of meat. <laughs> so I have not gotten the Bible that you suggested, which was like the Greek and English. English, right. So in that Bible... Does that do any of this for you? No. Okay. <laughs> no. There is, there is no Bible other than the ones that are online or that you can get in software forms that do this. Okay. Because there's so much underneath it. So what, what's given in the Greek English? Um, it's just simply a parallel, which then helps you... Know which word you're looking yeah. for when you go to... The like board. I can go over here and I can go, okay, the word judge. Meh. Crinete. Okay, that's not judge. Because I will have looked up judge in my dictionary. And it will have shown me this word in Greek. And I can compare the two. Okay. Yeah. Because I ha- I have what I do, I have I have a big I have a big book. If you come in my office, I have this big purple chair I sit in to work. And right here on my left hand are my Hebrew lexicons and my Greek lexicons and my historical commentaries. Boom, boom, boom. And then on my computer, I, I use 
versions of these same tools. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're out there. The problem is that people just want to Google and be done, which is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Please don't do that. Seriously, if I could excise the demon of Google Lookup for Bible study, the world would be a better place. Because there's a lot of strange stuff out there. A lot of it which is opinion, which is not based on what's actually there. Yes. All right. People want to bend it to their stuff. Yes. Yeah. When you were sharing this, I was thinking about, you know, back in the day before the internet uh, explosion, of how the common way in the church of studying the Bible were with commentaries. And we had, especially if you were one that loved to study the word, and then you have all these different various commentaries, these books and all, and that's what we uh, fed ourselves on, mm -hmm. others' opinions, right? Mm -hmm. But what this is doing is allowing us to become, as the Word says, study to show yourself approved right. with the Word of God and digging deeper, I mean, mm -hmm. instead of relying on all these other sources. Mm -hmm. And the danger with the Internet commentaries and all, and I was an avid one that would use them, <laughs> But the danger is because there are so many opinions and we have it at our fingertips right now. If you use only that, you could fall into areas of error. That could be really, really dangerous. So this is so good in that it's equipping us mm -hmm. to dig deeper yeah. and to become the students that the Word said that we should be. Yeah, and, and that, that's what it, exactly what it means there in Second Timothy, for yourself and then also to cut straight to have the pattern to cut straight. Because otherwise, you're going to be all over the place. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, it takes practice. The, the young adults ask me, how long do it take you now? I said, okay, that's not a fair question because I've been doing this a long time. I said, but when I first started, it might take me two weeks to get through, to get through 10 verses. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's okay, because I would take 30 minutes here. I was at college, so I would take 30 minutes here, 15 minutes there, an hour there, and then I'd get through the passage, and I'd have all my notes, you know. Now, okay, it takes me three or four hours. But that's because it's practice. It's just repetition. That's all. So it's a skill like typing. <laughs> it's a skill. It's a skill. And it's a discipline. But I promise you, if you hang with this, the more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. Because the Holy Spirit can take this stuff and really begin to transform your heart. It's really the tool that God used to transform my heart as a young woman. Because I couldn't hear anymore because the, the voices around me were so muddled. I needed to hear for myself. Now, what is this actually called? This is called exegesis, is the big $45 word, what you're doing. Yeah. Exegesis. Yeah. By, by, by using historical and linguistic context. Um, now, when we come back, when we look at the middle part of chapter 7, then what we'll do is we'll look at a larger biblical context, because there's a lot in the... the Next part where I can really pick up on some stuff from the First Testament. Um, but it's important to deal with the language, deal with the history, then see contextually what's going on in Matthew, the other Gospels, the writings of Paul, and then out to the First Testament. And you can pull all that in. But you have to start at the text where you are. And again, the Holy Spirit, this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can connect the dots mm -hmm. internally. I have one more question. So we're looking at the context mm -hmm. and history, and then like mm -hmm. the Bible dictionary gives some stuff. Mm -hmm. So when they're talking like an eye, you know, the speck in your eye, like how do you find that? Like that was very common to people back then, had eye issues. I mean, like, like the whole context to really mm -hmm. understand why it was said and, and the way it was so the people of that day understand it. Like, so Dr. Keener's um, InterVarsity Inter Press, historical commentary, that's on, I gave you the bibliography for that. Um, that's, that's, all that stuff he's saying is in that book. Okay. And, and you can use, now 
commentaries, that's where they can be good, uh, when they give the historical context for whatever mm -hmm. passage you're studying, you'll learn a lot of that in commentaries. You can learn the history. Mm -hmm. um, just reading up about the, the history of, uh, of the, the time uh, span, time frame, you know, in which the, the uh, Bible character of the person was writing in. So that is not as difficult to find, that kind of information. It's really just understanding, you know, parsing, I guess, the Greek and the mm -hmm. Hebrew and understanding passive and all this stuff. That's what takes a lot of work. Yeah, this is what really takes the time, is to, is to open, open the hood up here, under here and, and be willing to be patient with finding reading all of this and these are short I gave you this resource because he just kind of it's down and dirty <laughs> these are real short this is you see it's in bullet points and so that's a good place to start if you really want to take biblical Greek or Hebrew billmounts.com has two online classes that are 36 weeks long and you can learn all the grammar you want okay that's these those are seminary level courses okay but yeah. Let me say this. Um, ideally, mm -hmm. this would be taught to our children. Yes. This is what Sunday school should be about. Should be. This should be Sunday school. And this is not, it's difficult to us because number one is just foreign, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you teach this like you're teaching grammar, yeah. the alphabet, no. then we get it. Right. Yes. That's what I was just about to ask. Okay. Is this something? Um, like um, that kids could get because I, my son is I guess engaged in everything history now um, and he approaches it like it's almost like a game putting together some of the pieces of, of what's going on aspects of, of civilization and then mm -hmm. just that of the Bible um, yeah but you need uh, in my opinion you know this needs to be a classroom mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. where you have a teacher who is teaching uh, these these principles to get it. But now, please notice, you know, God is gracious. He's very gracious, but He still expects us. If we're learning these truths, He expects us to put some effort yeah. in learning this because, in the end, we're supposed to be able to rightly divide. Cut the line straight concerning his word. And so it is not his fault if his word is not correctly given. Because we are the only faith that does not require its adherents to read their sacred text in the language in which it was written. We're the only ones. Right. Especially in the West. Especially in the West. So if you go to a Jewish school, even like Beth Israel or wherever, if you walk into a Jewish elementary school, they're learning both English and, and Hebrew alphabet simultaneously. They're learning the languages simultaneously to be able to read the text. Um, if you go to an Islamic school, they're reading Arabic and English. That's the expectation. So you can read the Quran. You can understand. Right. Because you do miss out on the fine detail. Um, I, was, I was blessed when I was in seminary. One, one of my professors was from Greece. Do you know the Haralambakases? Did you ever meet them? Mm -hmm. So Dr. Haralambakas <laughs> was a native Greek speaker, modern Greek, but he could speak and read and understand Koine Greek. He said it's not that much like listening to old English for him. But what he could expound on as a native speaker was infinitely greater than what those of us who do in academia and in an academic sense. Because he got, he got the backstory stuff. Yeah. You know, he got the jokes. <laughs> um, and like in the, and he said, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is cracking a few jokes in here. You know, he's, he's digging at some folks. You know, y'all need to get on, get on board, basically. So... Yeah, it's, a, it's an infinite journey 
and it's uh, I think a beautiful one yeah so thank you I know we've run out of time so thank you I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. I look forward to sharing God's word with you next week. God bless you.